Amen, amen. Wonderful to sing those truths. If you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. A familiar passage for, for many of us. But as we uh, continue in our Behold series, uh, we need to see the ways that God interacts with us. Um, God's providence is what we'll be looking at today. And in this uh, providence, you could say God is providential, uh, but providence uh, is more of a verb. It's more of an, an action that God does. So we're kind of moving more into the activity of God uh, this week than just his attributes. I actually planned uh, this week to, to kind of go a different direction with the providence of God, you know, to, to really dig in deep, the, the deep theology of the providence of God, to show you how all-encompassing, all-pervading God's providence is, him, him carrying out his will in this world, unstoppable, unshakable, unmovable. And so that, that was what I was going to do, and, um, but then, then uh, God changed my mind. I don't know how else to say it. Uh, I mean, I, I had been working on a text. I had multiple versions of that sermon <laughs> written on that text, and then, then uh, I started to think about um, last week, and um, I shared with you guys some, uh, a struggle that I have in my own life, and it just hit me how many people talk to me about that, of how they struggle with that very same thing. And I'll explain that in a moment. Uh, but that made me think, you know, providence actually um, handles that struggle even better than the wisdom of God handles uh, that, that struggle. Well, here, I'll, I'll tell you again what that struggle was that I told you last week. Last week I told you that I struggle with pride. And the specific way my pride manifests itself is by me thinking that I am wiser than God. I often think that what happens in my life is stupid. I often think uh, that what happens in my life is painful and pointless. And at my worst uh, moments, I think that if I were God, I would do things differently and better. And you just think of all the little interruptions, the annoyances, the nuisances, the barriers, the tragedies even that come into our lives. We say, really, God, I thought you loved me, <laughs> right? We just sang these songs about how deep the Father's love for us. Well, yeah, how come I got in traffic today, God? Why did you let that happen? Why did you let this guy get in front of me? You know, just wh wh why, why does the, the baby have to wake up all night long? Why uh, does my, my, I have to have a headache today? Or you know, just what, whatever it may be. God, I thought you loved me. And, and it, it, we know from God's word, that, that God does have a wise plan, as we saw last week, and that God has infinite power, so therefore everything in this world happens only by his will. So I think, man, wow, I could really do things better than, than God does. and So that's, that's often uh, my struggle. So today... As we think about the providence, the providence of God is the actual outworking of God's plan. Okay, that, that's how I would describe it. God, in his wisdom, has, has decreed, by the way, if you study your Bibles, he decreed this plan in fullness, specifics, every single specific, before the foundation of the earth. Isaiah 46, 8 through 10, Ephesians 1, 4, Revelation 13, 8, 17, 8. Before the foundation of the earth, God decreed every millisecond, every movement, every action that would take place in this earth that includes uh, all inanimate things, rocks, you know, streams of water, that includes animals, that includes the, the, the weather, and that even includes people, our decisions, our actions, are, uh, were, were decreed, planned, written before the foundation of of the earth, and now we are in the outworking of that. 
By the way, the word providence, this may, may be interesting to you. I, um, re- I'm reading a book on providence. I was reading it even before we started this series. The word providence in Latin means to see to it. To see to it. Uh, and so you think about that, like, see to it that the garbage gets taken out. It doesn't mean you actually have to take out the garbage or anything like that. It just means you make sure that that thing happens. And so when we think about providence of God, that's not in the Bible, by the way, the word providence. We just see it all in the Bible. Uh, the Bible wasn't written in Latin. or Anyways, but we, God, all through the Bible, he has revealed to us that he sees to it every single event that happens. And so once again, when we think about our troubles, our trials, our difficulties, the pain, the tragedies that come into our lives, we so often think, what are you doing, God? This, 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 I mean, to be blunt, but this is stupid. Why would you let this happen? I mean, in that moment, when we're trying to get work done and the kids are screaming, in that moment, when we get in the car, we got somewhere to be and it doesn't start. In that moment when someone sins against us horribly, and in that moment when tragedy comes into our lives, When we look at the providence of God, it's tempting to say this is stupid. But that's until we truly dig into and behold the providence of God. And so my hope and my prayer is that as we study God's glorious providence today, that we'll begin to see things rightly, to rightly understand God's wisdom, to rightly understand God's power as it is applied in his providence. And my hope is that we won't just know that as a neat little theological truth, right? That we get the answer correct on the Bible quiz. But that when we're in the thick of it, when, when the pain is pressing in, when the, when the tragedy strikes, when, when the barrier comes in our life, the thing that keeps us from doing what we think we should be doing, that we would say, this is God's providence and I will rejoice. So let's read together 2 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 10. Again, you will not see the word providence in this text, but I promise you it is in this text. So 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. Paul says, I must go on boasting. Uh, I'll just explain that because that sounds really weird. Um, he, he's, he's uh, what would you say, he's defending his apostleship, his uh, apostolic authority that God has sent him, that the words that come out of Paul's mouth are authoritative. So he's, uh, he's using that word uh, kind of differently than we would think of. I must go on boasting. He said, though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weakness. Though if I, though if I should should wish to boast, it would not, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I will refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. I'm going to pause there. I know we're just doing the scripture reading. Who is this man that he, uh, you know, heard about that went up to the third heaven? Him. <laughs> in order to not boast, he's saying, I know of a guy who did this. I could be like, I know of a guy who preaches at Poplar Springs Baptist Church. He does an awesome job. No, uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, (laughs) But that's what he's saying. He's like, this thing happened. I don't want to boast about it being me. So I'll tell you, it happened to someone. This happened to someone. Okay, verse 7. So, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. So these revelations God gave him. A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. 
But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may, may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let's pray together. Father God, would you help us today? I have confessed my own sin, my own struggle of faith and sin. And so God, I ask on my behalf and anyone else who struggles with this uh, same, same thing, Lord, that you would help us to trust you a little more today. Would you give us a little more of the mind of Christ? Would you renew us, renew our minds, Lord, to see truth, to no longer see from only a human point of view, a finite, lacking knowledge, lacking wisdom point of view, Lord. Would you give us the heavenly point of view that understands your providence? And God, may we give you glory. May we praise you as we see your providence. And may our lives be transformed in the day in, day out because of it. This I pray, Father, in your Son's holy name. Amen. So I've already given you sort of a, a, a rough definition of God's providence. That is, he, he, he has made a plan, that's the decree of God, and then there is the providence of God is the working out of that wise plan. But what, what is it about God's providence that doesn't make me just say, okay, cool, so God made a plan and God can do whatever he wants. He's all powerful, but he's kind of a jerk because he lets bad things happen in my life. Like, what, what is it about God's providence that would make me not say that, that, that I should put my hand over my mouth if I'm tempted to say that? Number one, if, you're, if you like to write things down, God's providence is purposeful. God's providence is purposeful. I actually mean that in two ways. My, uh, I talk about my kids, but that's all right. They don't know. They're not listening. Um, <laughs> they're back there. But <laughs> One of my children, the, the older of the two, will uh, knock over the younger. Like, I will, I will watch it. And, and, and like, you know, the, the hand, she'll push, and the other will fall. I'll say, what are you doing? She, she'll say, I, I did it on accident. And, and I, you know what I say? I say, no, you didn't. I saw you. That was on purpose. That was purposeful. That, that did not happen on accident. You did not accidentally run up to her and shove her. In the same way, God's providence is purposeful. It does not happen on accident. When I say it does not happen on accident, what I mean is the outworking of human history, of creation history, every moment of every day, every movement of every atom, every relationship, every interaction, every incident is not an accident. It is a part of God's purposeful plan, and it happens on purpose. So that's the first sense, and, and we'll get to the other sense. You guys know what the other sense of uh, God's providence is purposeful means. He has a purpose intended for it. Uh, but first, let's talk about that it happens on purpose. It's interesting, because if you ask the question, who gave Paul this thorn in the flesh, you kind of have to do a double take in, in, as you read these verses. Because you read verses, uh, I guess it's just verse 7. And depending on like how you break up verse 7, how you, how you read it, you could come to two different conclusions for who gave Paul this thorn in the flesh. In the middle of verse 7 says, let's see here, sorry. Let's 
A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. Okay, so we take that. A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. So from that we'd say, okay, there it is, case closed. Satan has done this. Satan has in some way given Paul a thorn in the flesh, uh, you know, something that is a, a bother, a barrier, an inconvenience, probably painful, probably disrupting his ministry. A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. But then we read the, the, the verse more in context, verse 7, starting from the beginning of it. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh. Okay, so clear your mind. I didn't read the messenger of Satan thing. To keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh. Who, if that's all that you had, who would you suppose had given him this thorn in the flesh to keep him from becoming conceited? Is it likely that Satan says, you know what, that Paul, he might get puffed up. I need to keep him humble. I need to keep him low. It is very, very, very unlikely that Satan's agenda is to keep Paul from being puffed up with pride and to keep him humble. And so we would obviously conclude there that to keep me from becoming conceited, a thorn was given me in the flesh by God. That, that would be the obvious conclusion there. So again, case closed. There it is. God did it. Wait, wait a second. It just said both, though. It said to keep me from becoming conceited, a thorn was given me in the flesh. And it also says a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. So which is it? My answer would be both. Both are true, and we will get to that actually more here in a moment. But what I want to point out to you is this thorn in the flesh, this thing that was making life, making, dip, life, making ministry difficult for Paul, was not an accident. It was purposeful. It was on purpose that Paul had this affliction. But then we see this, again, as we... We say, okay, well, that's kind of a jerk move of God. We put our hands over our mouth when we recognize God's providence is purposeful, meaning everything happens for a purpose. So everything happens on purpose, and everything happens for a purpose. God, in His wise and sovereign grace, saw that Paul, because of these amazing visions, these truths that, by the way, you and I have never heard still, because he says that no man can utter. I mean, this is, this is God, God really let him in on some heavenly joy and some heavenly truth. And so God, in his grace, said, you know what? Paul is not yet heavenly, if you will. His, his body, he's still in his flesh that is still uh, um, bent towards temptation and, and, and uh, sorry, not bent toward, but susceptible toward uh, temptation and able to be puffed up. And so God in his grace said, more important than Paul's comfort, more important than the version of his ministry going the way he thinks it should, more important than even his lack of pain is that he not become conceited and that his, his faith would rest on me, that his boast would be in me, that his joy would be in me rather than in himself. God did this on purpose and God did this for a purpose. And again, this is just a snapshot, a look into every moment in every person's life who has ever lived or will ever live. God does and allows everything on purpose and for a purpose. And I can tell you with 100% assurance that just like for Paul, this was a good thing. It is always good for you. Whatever God does on purpose and for a purpose in your life, it is good for you. 
Romans 8, 28. For we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. It happens on purpose. You know, I was thinking about this. It hurts my heart <laughs> to think about these things, but it's good because I need, I, need, I need God to do surgery on my heart. We're, we're going to get there. I'm going off notes here, but he says this uh, in the middle of verse 9. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. I want to hone in, actually, on that first part of verse 10. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content. Do you know why I get so frustrated with God when he allows calamities in my life? Because I'm not concerned about for the sake of Christ nearly enough. I'm concerned about the kingdom of Jeff, the comfort of Jeff, the pleasure of Jeff, the entertainment of Jeff. And that's why we get angry when the frustrations come. Even though we know God's in control, even though we know God is doing it on purpose, we say, my purpose is better because my comfort is king. It hurts to realize that in my own life, that the reason I'm frustrated by this good thing God's doing in my life is because it's not what I would choose. I would choose the easy route, the comfortable route, the pleasurable route, rather than the difficult one he in his gracious wisdom is doing in my life and in your life. God's providence is purposeful. He does it on purpose and he does it for a purpose. Everything that comes into your life. The next thing I want to look at, kind of shifting gears, but I, I see it here in the text. And you guys are going to hate me for this word. God's providence is participatory. Sorry, it's a P. I had to. Participate. We participate in God's providence. God's providence is participatory. And I see this, uh, actually, two examples of that in our text. First, I see it with Satan. Okay, so God has a plan before the foundation of the earth that he will keep Paul's eyes firmly fixed on Jesus rather than his own power. And in order to do that, he wants a thorn in Paul's flesh. Right? That's God's plan. In order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in the flesh. But it says there, it was a messenger of Satan sent to harass me. And what we see here, this is kind of on the negative side, that God, I mean, just we got to wrap our minds around this. God decreed before anything existed other than God that Satan would harass Paul in order to keep Paul from becoming conceited, in order to work out his good plan and his good purpose. Satan would do this evil thing for God's good purpose purpose. This did not happen on accident. It was purposeful and it had a purpose. But you say, well, but th th that's crazy. How could God make Satan do that? Whoa, whoa, whoa. I did not say God made Satan do that. God did not put a spiritual gun to Satan's head and say, you better harass my, my servant. Satan did this out of his own heart, right? This is, this is Satan, something Satan contrived in his evil mind. I know what I'll do. Paul, I mean, he, he's the apostle of apostles. I mean, he, he's reaching all these people. I know what I'll do. I will afflict him. I will harass him. I will give him this thorn in the flesh. That'll throw him off. I can tell you now, again, his plan was not to keep Paul humble. So, Satan, <laughs> this is crazy, Satan is participating in the providence of God. He just doesn't, I mean, he, he may know it theologically, 
Uh, but he, when he's doing these evil things, he's not saying, I'll serve God by doing this. But the fact is, all through Scripture, I could highlight some, some places, but this is, this is one that I think is a very good example. God is using the evil heart of Satan to carry out his own plan. Other examples of this, you think of uh, Joseph and his brothers, right? We, we just finished Genesis. I say we just finished. It's probably been quite a while now. But Genesis 50, 20, after he's been sold into slavery by his brothers, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So the brothers, out of the evil of their heart, meant evil towards Joseph. But God, out of his good, wise heart, meant it for good. It's not just that God said, oh, they're going to do this. Let me see some way that I can spin this, put, put some English on it, and, and bend it toward my good. No, no, no. They meant it for evil. God meant it for good. Both go on the same path. And yet we see, I feel like I need to uh, mention this, I think it's James 1.13, that God cannot even be tempted to do evil and tempts no one to do evil. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God tempts no one and himself is never tempted. There, there's some mystery here, I get that. <laughs> we have to have a category for mystery, right? Things that we know to be true, but that we say, I can't explain the inner workings of how that is. I mean, we do this in everyday life. I have no clue how this iPad works. Not a clue. This is insane to me that, that I can pull things up. I emailed my sermon to myself, and while I was sitting there, I pulled it up. A, a, a sermon that I had written at home, I'm now looking at. I was talking to a friend on the phone. I know he'll listen to this sermon. Um, I was talking to a friend on the phone, but I said, Dude, you're, you're all this ways away. I've got a wireless phone that I am talking to you, and you immediately hear. I mean, it's just crazy. We know it to be true that, that this really can pull up a, a sermon. We know it to be true that a cell phone can do these things. But, I mean, if you truly understand how these things work, you're on another level uh, compared to me. And that's, that's true biblically all over the place. I mean, can, can anyone explain to me the, the, the inner workings, the details of how the Holy Spirit indwells Christians? Okay, now... My, my kids, uh, again, the older one, she, she thinks that that's the most insane thing. She, she, um, <laughs> the other day she was eating, and she said, am I feeding the Holy Spirit right now? I mean, seriously. She's trying to grapple with this mystery that the Holy Spirit indwells believers. At some point we'll have to break it to her that she's not a Christian yet and doesn't have the Holy Spirit yet. But we're praying for it. Um, man, just so many things. How is it? That Jesus, number one, became God and man. That's quite a mystery. How is it that on the cross, he took my sins yet undone, right? I, I wasn't born when Jesus did that. He took the penalty for my sins, my eternal sins, and bore them on. How, how is that possible? How is it that, that because of his death, his burial, his resurrection, I can just believe on him and have salvation and eternal life, forgiveness of sins, restored relationship with God, joy, peace? And that makes no sense. I have no idea the inner workings of that because God hasn't revealed it all. I mean, we have a lot there, but I don't know how my sins were placed on Jesus, that, that wrath. And yet it is true. It's a mystery, but it is true. And in the same way, hear me, in the same way, God ordains that evil will happen, that tragedy will happen, that simultaneously fulfills his decree and also breaks his heart. God, God keeps your tears in a bottle, it says in the Psalms. And yet he decrees that the very thing that pushes you to weeping would happen. There's a place for mystery there. God t says, thou shalt not blank, thou shalt not kill. And yet he decrees that people will do it. 
and yet he is entirely without blame when they, from the wellspring of their own heart, go and commit that evil thing. Just like Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery, they were still blameworthy, but God was not, even though they were fulfilling God's plan. And yet they participated. Now, we've only looked at the negative so far. Oh, I need to give you the best example of that. I, I, I hope that this has crossed your mind already. Acts chapter 4, verses 27 to 28. This is after Jesus' ascension, after Pentecost, even the, the giving of the Holy Spirit. Uh, some, people, some men had been persecuted, and they're, they're praying to God. It says this, For truly in this city, Jerusalem, were, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. The Jews were doing the most despicable thing imaginable. Their Messiah, we're talking the Messiah of Israel, came and they rejected him. They mocked him. They looked for ways to trip him up. And finally they said, we can't trip him up, but we'll go ahead and make it into a Roman thing, a government thing that he's calling himself the king. Then the Romans say, eh, crucify him, whatever. You know, like I wash my hands of this, Pilate says, you can't wash your hands of having a man put to death, a man who has made it quite obvious that he is the son of God. So it says there, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. God decreed before the foundation of the world that Jesus would have all this horror, all this evil done against him. And yet God, again, put a gun to no one's head. God tempted no one to do evil, but it was his hand, his plan, and he had predestined it to take place. We, we need that category. Sorry. The next thing I want to say, though, because that's, that's all negative there, the same is true on the positive side. It, it is participatory. It is participatory that we work out God's providence. It's so uh, tempting for people that have a, a shallow view of the providence of God to say, well, if God's going to do it, then I don't need to do anything. If God's going to do what he's going to do, then what I do doesn't matter. That's called determinism. That's how prevalent it is, that it has a name, that we are robots that can't really help what we do. That we are, we are puppets with God pulling the strings, and we, we just can't help what, what comes out of our mouth and what our arms and legs do. That is not the way God does things. That is a teeny tiny view of God to think that he has to make us into robots who can't think for ourselves, act for ourselves, make our own decisions. God is so wise and so powerful that he made it, that his providential plan will be carried out with precision, and yet we will follow the desires of our heart. I, I should throw in here, by God's grace, any of us can choose to do the right thing because ever since Adam and Eve fell, it was not so. We were born with sinning hearts, dead hearts who, who follow the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, who, who do the, the desires of our flesh. But God opens our eyes, opens our hearts. That's, that's providence, by the way. <laughs> he, he does that through these events, leads us to Christ, and then says, okay, now, now do it. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's like, okay, well, so I'm at this on my own? No, for it is he who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's Philippians 2, 12, and 13. Friend, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is working in you both to will, that is to want, and to do for his good pleasure. That is, to actually carry out your good desires. That is participating in the providence of God. A 
Ephesians 2.10. This is participating. For we are his workmanship, that is those who have trusted in Jesus by faith. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Not that we might walk in them, but that we should walk in them. God prepares them beforehand. So when you, friend, choose to to do the right thing, to do what God commands, to, to do what you see God would have you do, you are participating in the providence of God, his good, perfect, wise plan that is purposeful. It is, it is leading to something good. And I, I've kind of left out the fact that that's what Paul does here. Uh, verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, this thorn in the flesh. God, this hurts. God, this is getting in the way. God, this is super annoying. Would you, would you make it leave me? Verse 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness, end quote, of God. So Paul responds, therefore, I'll just sit back and relax and, and, and grumble and gripe and complain about this thorn in the flesh. No, that's not what it says. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness. This thorn in the flesh, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul is participating in his own sanctification. God gives him a thorn in the flesh to keep him from becoming conceited. He wants it gone because he doesn't know the purpose behind it. When God reveals the purpose behind it, he says, Okay, make it hurt even more. (laughs) Almost all the more gladly of my weakness. I, I will push into this. I will participate, God, in what you are providentially doing in my life. And by the way, this providence being participatory means that we really do things that are condemnable, that is, we're worthy of blame, or things that are commendable. We're not robots. God God really does enjoy seeing us, and God really will reward you for your obedience. We really do things that are praiseworthy and punishment-worthy, even though God is 100% in control. That is what it means for providence to be participatory. I know it's a weird word, but I hope you get it now. We participate in what God is doing from a willing heart, And by the way, if you will to do anything good, it is all God's providential grace in your life. So God's providence is purposeful. Everything happens on purpose. And everything happens for a purpose. And that purpose is good for you if you are a believer. And providence is participatory. We take part in God's providence. We push into it. And so, if we see God's providence, here's what it should lead us to. If we we truly see it, truly understand it, here's what it should lead us to. First, praise. Remember how I started? that my, 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 My problem is I have pride, and so I tend to grumble against God when calamity comes my way. That should be turned to praise. Give thanks always and for everything. To God. We're we're supposed to thank God in every circumstance. This is the will of God for you, the Bible says. And if this is the will of God, this is the command of God to give thanks in every circumstance, then there is a way to do it. And I'll tell you, the way that you can give praise to God and thanks to God in every circumstance is to see His providence working. To recognize this circumstance stinks. It is not objectively good. Paul's thorn in the flesh was not a good thing in the sense that we would think of it. It was a rotten thing. It was a messenger of Satan sent to harass him. But he could still give God praise because he recognized even though it was a bad thing, God was using it for good. So please don't hear me say your cancer, your, your, the death of a loved one, the way someone sinned against you horribly was a good thing. I am not saying that. It was a terrible thing. 
It's a tragedy, and if it was from a person, then it was condemnable. It, it was bad, like, uh, and, and it needs to be dealt with. But what I am telling you is you can give God praise in that circumstance because it was on purpose, even from Him, and it was purposeful for your good. I've already showed you there, Paul says there in the middle of verse 9, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness. That's, there's gladness there. There's emotion uh, in, in the way he now can embrace this circumstance. So, I mean, I'm just not, I'm not making this stuff up. This is what providence does when you recognize that God is working on purpose, for a purpose. We boast all the more gladly of our troubles. We, 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 we recognize it for what it is and we say, I'm glad God is working. And I'm glad it is, it is doing something in my life. It is producing something. You can look at several passages. I'm not going to read them now. But one, we know that, that all our trials are producing endurance. And we have great need of endurance. It, it, again, you have to, I can't even remember the references right now. And then it is also producing an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. God, God says, you're suffering now, but I promise you, it'll, it'll seem like nothing. And it is actually right here, right now, producing for you an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison that you will one day experience, and, and it will never end. Remember this, friends. Whatever trouble you're facing, whatever trial you're facing, it has an expiration date. Amen? Whatever pain you feel, whatever uh, you know, difficulty, whatever annoyance, it will end. It will come to an end because God has already made you new and he will one day make everything new. You will be in a place with no sin, no sorrow, no suffering, no tears. So we can praise God and look to what he's doing and what he is storing up for us. And again, to, to fly in the face of this determinism, we actually, rather than doing nothing, we, we, it, it drives us to action. Providence drives us to action. First, I see prayer. You might think that this is a terrible example of saying providence means you should pray because Paul praise and God didn't answer, right? I, I prayed three times and God didn't answer, right? Wrong. God did answer Paul's prayer just in a different way than he was expecting. Paul thought in his little brain, finite brain, you know what would be best for me is for this thorn in the flesh to be removed. He cries out to God in prayer three times and God waited till the third time even to say, hey, I'm doing something. I'm doing something. And it was actually because Paul prayed and God answered that the thing was accomplished. Hear me. It is because Paul prayed three times and then God answered, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness that the, the providence happened. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses. Therefore, I will be content for the sake of Christ in calamities, persecutions. It was actually because he prayed and God answered that the providence of God was accomplished. Mind blown. And oftentimes, God does answer in the way we are requesting. And I even want to say this. Oh man, it gets, it gets complicated. All the mystery once again. I'll just read, read, read uh, this passage. James 4, 2, you do not have because you do not ask. God withhold, withholds things sometimes because you're, you're simply not asking for it. You say, well, if God's providential, then he plans exactly, you know, when I'll get things. So what's the point? God, God knows what you need before you even ask him, the Bible even says. But then it, here it says, you do not have because you do not ask. And so here's the mystery of it all. God, in his providence, plans that he will give you good things in answer to prayer. <laughs> I mean, and, and, and so you say, so if I don't pray, I don't get it. Yeah, and that was a part of God's plan, that you would miss out on that, that thing. 
He said, but if I do pray, I, I get it. Yeah, that, and that, that was a part of God's plan, that you would pray and you would get it. I mean, it, it really is difficult. Uh, again, the, the mystery here. But what you can do is pray to the God of providence, okay? The reason it should propel us to prayer is God is in control of, of everything. Seriously, guys, everything. Every leaf that blows in the wind, then drops to the ground, then blows to a sewer, then decomposes, God was in control every moment of that leaf's life. Every wave that has ever lapped on the ocean shore since creation was moving exactly as God planned. Every cloud in the sky is exactly the shape and exactly the position and drops its rain at the exact time and each and every raindrop lands exactly where God wants it to be. And God knows even the hairs on your head. He, no sparrow drops without God willing it. Are you not more, much more uh, valuable than a sparrow? God knows everything that's happening in your life. He is in control of it. And you can pray to that God who is in control of your life, and he has the power. Remember, we talked about this, the uh, um, <laughs> omnipotence of God. He has the power to make the change, and it can have been a part of his plan from the beginning of time. That you would pray, and he would answer. John 16, 24, until now, Jesus said, until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. May the providence of God lead us to prayer because God providentially answers prayer. So it leads us to praise. It leads us to prayer. It also leads us to pursue sanctification. Every time you open your Bible, here's what you can think. God appointed this moment that I would look into his word, his pure, perfect active, living an active word that, that I might be transformed and he will really do it in my life because he is providential. God appointed this time that I would study his word. And even when, when difficult times come, James says that we, we should endure that hardship that we might be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. We, we, we endure that hardship with, with faith. We say, God, what are you doing? There's a thorn in my flesh right now. What are you doing? What's your purpose here? Is, is it for me? Is it to sanctify me? I laid in bed last night. I'm giving you guys TMI, too much information. But uh, laid in bed last night, and I'm just dead tired and that's exactly when like the alarm clock went off in Rosalind's brain <laughs> I'm just like God what are you doing like I, I that it was no longer my old what are you doing this is stupid it was my what are you doing what are you wanting to do in me right now by having her wake up and be crying right when I'm ready to go to sleep and I'm dead tired and it helped me I responded way better to a crying kid I won't tell you at what time What are you doing, God? Change it in me. You, you brought this frustration in. What, what do you want to get rid of in my heart? What do you want to put into my heart? Pursue sanctification. Again, I, I read it already. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You're really pursuing it, right? We, we, it's participatory. You're really pursuing sanctification and God is really doing <laughs> sanctification. That's part of his good plan. And finally, I'll leave you with this. God's providence leads us to proclaim. That is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right now, we're, we're there in uh, 2 Corinthians 12. You know, Paul wrote that. And we joke about this, but Paul literally wrote the book on election and on providence of God, uh, you know, uh, saving people. And that God chooses people before the foundation of the earth, Ephesians 1, 4. And so it would have been 
easy, you might think, for Paul to say, well, God's already going to save whoever he's going to save. He already saved them or chose them before the foundation of the earth, so I am not going to bother sharing the gospel. Is that the philosophy Paul lived by? Anyone? Answer. No. Paul quite literally was daily laying down his life for sharing the gospel. He says, we die daily. I don't know about you, but my life doesn't feel like that. Like I die daily because I'm trying so hard to share the gospel with people. Because here, again, Paul understood this, this, this participatory nature of the providence of God. Yes, God chose people before the foundation of the earth that they would be holy and blameless before him. Yes, God is going to save all those whom he has chosen, but yes, God will only save them as people proclaim the gospel. He will use means and he will appoint those means. Romans 10, 13 to 17, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching or proclaiming? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? It is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed. Oh, sorry, too, too much. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, they have not obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. I don't have time to break all that down, but you, you see that. People cannot be saved unless they hear the gospel and believe it. And so we, as Christians, and, and people that we would, I believe, as a church, we esteem ourselves as being a, a pretty theologically deep church, I believe. And so to me, it is contradictory for us to say we love God, we, we desire for people to be saved, and God has chosen whom he will save, and I'm going to do nothing about it. I believe that's contradictory. Because we know that, that the power of God, the power of of the gospel brings salvation. I'm, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation, Paul said. And here's the thing. I, I, I know uh, a lot of people just struggle with, with sharing the gospel, proclaiming the gospel, being intimidating. Oh, I, I can't do a good job with it. Oh, I, I couldn't ever convince anyone. I couldn't save anyone. And the answer to that is, yeah, I know. You cannot. You, you can't save anyone. Your message, what, what you have to say, is not enough. But when God is providentially empowering your words, empowering your message, it becomes salvation unto that person. First uh, Thessalonians 1.4 for we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. That's election. God has chosen you before the foundation of the earth to be saved. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. That's what I'm talking about. Knowing the providence of God should, should push us, propel us to be sharing the gospel. Because it means you're, you're not just standing there in the break room at work looking stupid. Like, God could really be doing something powerful through your words. You're, you're not just some idiot talking to, to your neighbor across the fence, talking to him about Jesus. It could be the thing God uses... It could come in power 
and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. What do you know? I don't know. I don't know when he'll do it, but he does. And that's why Paul spent his life, and that's why I want to spend my life proclaiming the gospel. And that's what the providence of God does for us if we take it seriously, if we truly believe it, if we've let it come into our hearts. It keeps us from grumbling against God. And that's really what all grumbling is, by the way. All grumbling is ultimately against God, if God is truly providential. But if we understand it's on purpose and for a purpose, we can praise God rather than grumble against God. Then it can lead us to pray to God and He will answer. Remember, I prayed three times and He answered, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly. God accomplished His providential plan through prayer. It leads us to pursue sanctification. Again, Paul says, I'll boast all the more gladly of my weakness. I'll push into this difficult situation because God is wanting to sanctify me through it. We pursue it and then we proclaim. We tell as many people as possible. We do all that we can to save some because God has chosen some and God will use you to save some. This is a beautiful truth, a beautiful thing to be a part of. And it is a glorious God who has put it all together. Again, I think the people who made this iPad are pretty impressive, but it is nothing. I'll break it over my knee. I won't. But I'm just saying it's, it's nothing compared to the inner workings of the providence of God. It is spectacular. It is beyond imagining. And that's just how glorious our God is. Let's pray. Father God, We don't know what Paul's thorn in the flesh was, and I believe that you did that on purpose, that you did not have him record what it was so that none of us could say, oh, that's not what's going on in my life. My situation is like this. So God, I, I come to you knowing that I have a room full of people and people on Zoom who go through different trials, different tragedies, different barriers, and God, they, they, they're a thorn in the flesh to them. And it very well may be that that Satan or some other person intends that thing for evil. But God, help us to believe that you mean it for good. You have purposed it for good. You have allowed it on purpose and you are producing something through it. God, again, I pray as I did at the beginning, that you would give us a heavenly perspective instead of just looking through our eyes. God, let the Bible be our eyes. Let the Bible be the perch from which we look down on our lives and say, something big is going on. It looks frustrating. It looks difficult. It looks tragic even. But God is doing something. He's always been doing something and he's still doing something. So God, help us to trust you. Help us to refrain from grumbling. Help us to put our hands over our mouths and, until our, our mind gets right and we're able to praise you and thank you. God, help us to come to you in prayer. Help us not to neglect this relationship we have with you. And it really is a relationship of dependence that you work out your providence, God, through prayer as we depend on you, as we call on you as a loving father saying, God, I need your help here. Help us to, to come to you in prayer. God, help us also to pursue sanctification. God, I pray right now for whoever it is that's struggling with that sin. They've been dealing with it forever and they just feel like they can't get rid of it. God, let them just stop. Let today, right now in their hearts, be the moment they say, I'm done, but not because I can beat this sin, but because God can beat it in me. I'm done with this. I, I'm done saying that I can't do it. I can't stop because it is God who works in us. Lord, help us to be free from our sin. Help us to pursue sanctification, right attitudes, right actions. And God, help us to proclaim your gospel Oh, Lord, I pray that we would double in size by next year. Not, I don't even care if they come to this church, but the people that are reached, the Christians, your kingdom, by us proclaiming the gospel, 
to people whom you have chosen before the foundation of the earth, that you would bring a message of salvation, of grace and forgiveness and peace through, through weak vessels like, like me and like these people, Lord, and that you would providentially save them through that. God, let us be excited to share the gospel knowing that this might be it. Your word does not return void, the Bible even tells us. It will accomplish all your purpose. So if we, if we share your word, the word about Christ, it will accomplish something, something good. It may not be good for that person that we're sharing to, but you will accomplish something. And it very well may be their transition from heaven to hell. So God, help us. God, help us to be active and excited about the Christian life rather than, rather than just distracted by all the circumstances. You can do this, God. You want to do this. And this sermon can be a providential part of that being worked out in our lives. Lord, I pray all this in your son's holy name. Amen.